When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome into Purple Daily. Much to talk about. A very uh, interesting day out at TCO Performance Center as uh, Xavier Rhodes apologized to the organization for his sideline meltdown. Delvin Cook said that he's going to be ready to play. And so I'm going to play throughout this first segment here a couple of the sound clips from out there at TCO. Or actually, Jonathan's going to play them. I don't know how. And uh, we are going to break them down myself and Sage Rosenfels. What is up, Sage? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I am doing really well. Uh, I kind of had the expectation that when it's a big loss and you go out there to the facility that there are going to be some answers that you're looking for. And we got most of them today in part that Xavier Rhodes acknowledges that it just hasn't gone how he's expected it to go. And that's the politest way I can put it. The most impolite way would be it's been a disaster with Xavier Rhodes so far this year. And when you look at the numbers, he's the third worst corner in the NFL in terms of quarterback rating throwing his way. And Sage, whether we're talking about you know miscommunications or whatever else, even without that 60-yard touchdown, without a coverage bust, he was still at the, at the very bottom of the rankings, and I don't get the impression whatsoever that the Vikings are going to go away from him and use Mike Hughes more or use Holton Hill. I think that we are in for the ride with Xavier Rhodes. Yeah, it's been a, a tough season for him. Last year wasn't great either. Uh, it seems like uh, it's sort of getting worse, and you know that touchdown was huge in the ball game. And I, I have yet to get a full explanation of what exactly happened there. But you know, uh, Harrison Smith, uh, who would probably be the deep safety to his half, uh, was right in front of him, you know, near the mm-hmm. line of scrimmage. So you had to think there was, you know, it's not like those guys are far from each other to communicate. So I don't know how. Uh, what happened there, what the situation was there. But, you know, uh, Harrison doesn't make a lot of mistakes. No. Uh, I, I do know that. He does not make a lot of coverage mistakes. He is sort of the guy that cleans up everybody else's mistakes uh, most of the time, it seems like, to me. So, again, I don't know what happened in that situation, but uh, Xavier has been attacked uh, a lot this year on the field and probably by people like us uh, who have just you know, we our opinion is he's not playing very well. Teams have great stats against him. Uh, and uh, he, you know, from a guy that was a – 
lockdown, one of the best in the league corners, and and very well compensated. You'd like to get better production out of you know those big numbers like that. So it's been frustrating, and uh, either he's going to have to play better somehow, uh, and he does a lot of great things. That's the thing is, man, his tackling. Uh, he, you know, he's like Antoine Winfield back in the day I, I, when he's in certain times in cover two or whatever. His mm-hmm. tackling's been a lot of a lot of re, uh, ways really good near the last scrimmage, more on running backs than wide receivers, and so. I'm not sure what the Vikings are going to do there, but they do have some other corners they could try out. I've been sort of saying, you know, I don't know this Holton Hill kid, other than they got, you know, got in trouble a little bit here and set out the first half of the season, but he's had made some plays in the past, and I thought he played well in the preseason, and, you know, maybe, you know, they gave him a, a, a try, but, you know, they're the ones who see him every day in practice, that's, right? Yeah, you know, that's, that's right. the thing is we, oh, he should play, he could be terrible in practice and just be an occasional gamer, you know, and, and uh, takes chances. And he's gotten away with a few, but you know they see it consistently in practice where people are burning him, all, burning him all the time. So you have to really trust the coaching staff on that one. And because uh, I, I do believe uh, they know they got a team that's going to be right in the hunt here in, in Canby, and they're going to play, and they probably always do play their very best players, no matter how much money they're making, if they think those guys get much best chance to win. So I understand what you're saying with the coaching staff knowing more and seeing them, and and we've talked about that a lot usually in training camp when they make decisions and people say, well, what about this guy? It was good in preseason, and we always come back. And it's a cyclical, cyclical thing. Every July, we have this conversation, or every August. Uh, yeah, well, they see him every day in training camp practice, and the preseason games don't mean a lot. But the real NFL games do mean a lot, Sage, and the results are just so bad with Xavier Rhodes this year. This isn't, oh, he dropped from elite to, like, uh, average, and he still got it. It's He dropped from elite in 2016 to 80th out of 82, to being a, a liability, to being the guy that other teams are going into the game saying, we are going to attack this guy. And I'm not saying that Mike Hughes hasn't been that when he filled in because he was against Dallas, but he is a first-round pick. His numbers are better this year. Holton Hill's numbers last year were better. So I think there is a good case for not having much more rope when it comes to Xavier Rhodes. But I think a big part of it, and I want to play what Mike Zimmer said to my question today, is Zimmer's relationship with Rhodes and his loyalty to players that he's developed it's important xavier's a good kid you know we've we've you know we've always had our little uh, moments i guess you call it but at the end of the day he knows i'm trying to do what's best for him and he's always trying to do what's best for me so you know i think uh you know i have a i have a ton of respect for him uh not just him every player and uh you know because he's done what we've asked him to do he tries to do it and, and um you know so he, he's a good kid he's got a smile on his face all the time comes out to practice and works hard so uh yeah i have a ton of respect for him what do you make of the fact sage that zimmer has been loyal to not just xavier rhodes but other players in the past like chad greenway when he was at the end of his career and even fighting tooth and nail to make sure that anthony barr was back here by any means possible well, I think loyalty well, is good. It means the players like their coach, and the coach likes the players, and uh, there is a relationship there. Yeah, I think Gary Kubiak, when I played for him, a lot of guys really loyal to him. When I talked to old players that are now retired or long retired or whatever, you know, he was probably their favorite head coach to play for as they bounced around the league. So I, I think 
loyalty is good. I think guys like Chad Greenway, even at the end of their career, uh, who you know weren't uh, as good as they were when they were in their fifth year of their career, I call those guys glue guys mm-hmm. sometimes. I mean, there's just something about them uh, of keeping the team together and the way they work and the way they treat other people and they're total professionals. And there's more than you know just their production. But I, I think what, how the game has changed so much, at least from a media standpoint, is before we could have this conversation about Xavier and it's sort of based off of sort of what we see and sort of our gut feeling and maybe there was a big play and uh, of how we now there's numbers now you have like all this uh, statistical stuff that you know opponents quarterback rating against just him uh, or routes you know when he's covering what's what's the uh, you know route percentages of when he gets beat and what's the yards per catch against him like there's so many more numbers now that you sort of can't hide the fact mm-hmm. that he has struggled and they're you know so uh, they're going to have to do something but as you know I said to you earlier who what what that's going to be whether it's scheme in some way to, some way to protect him a little bit or it's uh, playing somebody else. But, I, I, again, I, I, I like going off of the coaches are doing their best. There's a lot of pressure. They're doing their best to try to figure out what they can to win football games this year. In the offseason, you know, my guess is that Xavier's not going to be here. Uh, and that's the way it's going to be. But, you know, him and Mike Zimmer have had a, had a long run with each other. And, uh, and you know, he got, again, drafted in the first round. The bigger conversation really is, and I had somebody message me on Twitter yesterday, and they just said, "I think the Vikings should have uh, um, traded, you know, for Pat for for what's the kid in uh, uh, in Jacksonville, Ramsey, or oh, Jalen Ramsey, yes. Jalen Ramsey, yeah. yeah." And I think the Vikings should trade for him, and I'm like, "Well, that means that we have had we would have spent six first round draft picks on our secondary, right? Because Harrison Smith's a first rounder, Xavier Rhodes a first rounder." Trey Wayne's a first rounder. Uh, uh, Mike Hughes a first rounder, and now you're going to spend two more. And I just feel like if our head coach's specialty is the secondary, that's actually where, in, in my opinion, you can sometimes make up for, uh, uh, you know, through scheme, through whatever, to maximize those guys' abilities. But you can't have all this, you know, draft capital and financial and, 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 and salary cap capital in this one position that's not performing at a high level. You know, you have to have your best players play good. Uh, in the Vikings secondary, a lot of capital there, and those guys are not playing great football. So I do think that the price for Jalen Ramsey was outrageous. As much as I respect his ability, to give up two first-round draft picks is mind-blowing that anyone would ever agree to that. I mean, the Rams must have really felt this is their last year to shoot for a Super Bowl before they fall off. Yeah, I was going to say this this offseason, I'm looking, I'd, I'd like to, you know, we'll see how the Rams, what happens there. I mean... That's you know I know we're, I don't want to go off into another conversation, but they just gave up two first rounders. All right, they haven't even paid the guy. Right, like Ramsey's in the position that he can say, "I want." Wait, what are you going to do? Not pay me? You know, franchise tag me or whatever. Yeah. But like they they have to basically pay him what he you know wants to be paid, which is going to be by by far the biggest uh, contract for a corner in NFL history. I don't know. I don't. I'm a sign and trade type of guy. You're going to trade a guy and we're going to handshake, you know, that uh, that we're going to agree to something and you won't hold out? I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, the NFL is an interesting business, and I would have I would have had that contract in place. Uh, well, in the first place, I wouldn't have given up two first-rounders for him. That's another thing. Like, I'm just not going to let go to the future so much that uh, we think this one guy um, is going to completely change our team. I don't. I think the quarterback is about the only position I'd give up two first rounders for, uh, and you know, and not 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 a lot of guys I'd even do that for, right? So, so yeah, right. 
I, I just think they they over they overpaid and now they don't have a contract in place. I think the Rams are a very interesting team this offseason. That thing, that whole ship could fall apart. We'll have to see. Now let me make the argument for doing it. The argument for doing it would be this that Kirk Cousins is playing the best football of his career, and you have still, even though the, you know they played just okay the other night on offense, um you still have a top five offense in the entire NFL. You're putting up numbers that aren't that different from the Baltimore Ravens, who everyone is super, super happy and excited about the way they're playing. Well, the Vikings offense is right in that top five area, and uh, you have players that are mostly healthy. Thielen's been out. He'll probably come back. Delvin Cook has been banged up here, but he's been healthy all season. Diggs is playing great football as well. The other night, not his best game, but overall having a great season. Gary is here. Stefanski is here. That you could look at this and say, I don't know how many times you're going to get this Kirk Cousins performance. If Stefanski leaves, does Gary call it quits and say, well, it was fun, but you know, I'm going back to the ranch or something like that. Like you don't know what's going to happen in the future, but you know, you have a shot now that would have been one of your arguments to do it. The other case is, well, can I say this real quick, by the way, go ahead. You know, at the beginning of the season, you and I, I believe discussed, uh, you know, the various position groups as the Vikings got ready for the 2019 season. I think we went through and discussed, you know, sort of you know, give them an A, a B, or, you know, who, yeah, what we yeah. thought. And the offensive line was a weakness. And that offensive line is seventh in the league, leading an offense at seventh in the league in points, eighth in the league in yards, uh, and has an accurate quarterback who can't scramble around very much. Mm-hmm. Like, however they're doing it. Uh, they're getting it done. That, so that is like no longer a weakness anymore. I look at that as a strength. And it's a strength, I think, because of that coaching staff. You know, it, I, I, I do believe like this offensive staff has done a fast, fantastic job with this group. Missing, by the way, Adam Thielen uh, as well for about half of this season. What they are producing uh, from the players that, that are there, and there are some really, really good players. There's some couple great players in that mix. Uh, I think is phenomenal. So the defensive side of the ball. Uh, if anything, you, know, you watched that game the other night. Uh, the offense, I don't think, lost that football game. I, I, I think the defense didn't play as well. Yes, they got the, the pick six and the touchdown or whatever, but I do think the offense is doing one heck of a job. And there's a lot of game, there's a lot of capital that has been spent on the defensive side of the football uh, as far as draft picks and salaries. And I think that group needs to be dominant, and they haven't been as dominant, at least in the secondary, uh, you know, and, and in running the football. I mean, they're giving up 104 yards rushing game. That's 15th in the league, and they're 20th in pass defense. Uh, you know, that with, with all that capital over there and all that experience and a defensive head coach, that number should be in the top ten as well. It definitely should. Um, but I also think that with Xavier Rhodes, and, and this kind of ties back into that person asking you about Jalen Ramsey, which again, I mean, I'm, I'm generally on your side that two first round draft picks is really Man, putting you a in lot. a tough position, right? And if Kirk Cousins tells you, you know what, I want to hit that free agent market again, like, oh, now what do we do at quarterback without a first round pick for two years? That would be a really bad place to be in. But if you're going to invest, Sage, I think a cornerback is generally a great place to invest a lot of money. And if you were clearing the cap space to move Rhodes out and moving Jalen Ramsey in and signing him to a big contract, maybe that wouldn't hurt you so much. I, I think the question we need to ask is, should you have seen this coming with Xavier Rhodes? And I tend to think yes, because you and I were watching him in training camp and saying, I don't know how well this is going to go. And this is where I tie back into... Well, we watched him last season. Yeah, last I mean, season I, he wasn't I, Last great. season, I feel like we were on to this, and I... I you know, we probably didn't get into the, all the numbers against him because he had been such a good, consistent, a great, consistent player for years 
uh, before that. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he hated uh, you know going against him. He was having terrible games against the yep, Vikings, yep. and a lot of it was because of Rhodes. I mean, just shut down over there. And you know that has gone from it wasn't good last year. And I thought, I, mean, I was thinking maybe last year they might make a change or there's going to be a big pay cut or you know whatever's going to happen, and nothing happened. And now they're obviously overspending for a player who's not producing. And just to kind of return to where we started before I move on to our next sound clip, from today out at TCO Performance Center. I think this is where Mike Zimmer's loyalty, though it should be appreciated, loyalty is a good thing to have in your life, but there's also the Bill Belichick, as soon as you're done, you're done, see you, don't care about you, bye. And uh, Bill Walsh was that way, too. I mean, look at how many San Francisco 49ers legends end up finishing their careers on other teams and how many times Belichick has been like, eh, you know, you want that contract, but no, I'll see ya. And But, you know, but part of the thing is, is that Belichick has a plan for replacement. He is, you know, two years ahead of the plan to replace, you know, Wes Welker. I think that's like what Mike that, Hughes right? was supposed to be, wasn't and it? And Joe Montana got replaced by Steve Young. So... Mike Hughes was supposed to be that. That is absolutely a fact. My guess is if Mike Hughes plays all last year and he's healthy and he plays pretty pretty well, mm-hmm. that that maybe Xavier's not back this yeah. year because yeah. he would be the starting guy and that would be it. And I think he's going to even you know get better. And and we, we do see flashes of that. We he got he got picked apart. Was it uh, was it Dallas? Uh, that yes. people were attacking him sort of left and right. And yep. Amari Cooper had a good day. So, again, you know, three first-round draft picks at the cornerback position. Those guys just need to play better and, and uh, or something needs to change. Yeah, I, I do um, appreciate that strategy of putting that into it because if you think about how well other people have played this year for the Vikings, got a good question from a listener earlier today that on PFF, the Vikings' overall defensive grade is sixth because they've gotten a lot of great performances. Griffin and, and Hunter and Eric Kendricks is having a Pro Bowl season, and yet they're still not putting up great numbers because if you have that one position, if you can't cover effectively, you're not going to be that effective, even if you are getting pressure, even if you have linebackers who are playing really well. So investing first-round picks in that I think is a good idea, but you have to know when it's over, and I think they should have known after last year that it was over. But now, Sage, is there a fix is there a fix to this? Because I, we've been asking it all year. The answer, I think, is probably not. But Zimmer staying with him, he's going to live and die with Xavier Rhodes here. Well, I guess we'll have to see. I mean, we, I think we just don't know. And uh, he may or may not. Again, I mean, there's, there's really only two things. You, there's three things that can happen. Xavier can play better. They could try to scheme to help him. So he's not chasing as much before. Maybe he's more of a zone corner. Uh, or they can play somebody else. I think those are like sort of the three options. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, we'll see where Mike Zimmer goes from, you know, game to game, game to game, from, from drive to drive. I mean, we might see something in the middle of a game uh, on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. And so I guess we'll have to wait and see. And, and I, 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 there's nothing wrong with him saying that he is loyal to players. I think that's great. I think if you're a player's perspective, you've got to been in the league and been on the team for a while and put your heart and soul into the whole thing and, and, and been uh, sort of a, a, a you know, a good act to follow in the locker room and in the community or whatever. I think uh, to have that respect from a head coach is is great, and players appreciate that. Uh, and I'd always rather have a coach that's just a little bit too loyal, uh, mm-hmm. and unlike a Belichick who's just really doesn't care whatsoever, and, and you're gone, and and uh, you know you don't get a little bit of the, of the benefit of the doubt. I think players do appreciate that. Okay, so uh, Delvin Cook talked today about his status after getting dinged up and missing most of the second half. Uh, on Monday night, and Alexander Madison filled in. So here's what Cook had to say. Yeah, I'll be out there on Sunday. I feel good. Actually, better than I expected. So, you know, I'll be out there on Sunday. 
ready to get a W. Uh, Delvin Cook Sage also talked about how he was going to have to focus more on ball security because his clavicle hurts. I don't like this. I, I don't like this. Alexander Madison has been great this year. He averages 4.8 yards a carry. He's breaking tackles like crazy. Catch the ball. I know Delvin Cook is more of the MVP caliber than Madison is, but when you have running backs behind the guy who are very capable and good, I think I'd rather have Delvin not play against Detroit and get a week off. Uh, I have no issue with that, and maybe they just cut back his carries a little bit. I mean, only he knows how much it hurts. Only he knows uh, you know, how it affects him to catch the football, to hold on to the football. Uh, you know, If he can't hold it strong in that arm and only has to run it uh, with the other arm, I think that's probably a bad idea. You know what I mean? Because it's hard to just change the way you run the football and the way you carry the football and, and not and have it in the wrong hand, you know, on, on, and runs to the right or runs to the left. And so the nice thing is we do have Madison back there. I love Mike Boone in the preseason two years in a row now. Obviously, Abdullah has a little bit of a juice, I think, that, that could add to this offense. So he's a great player, though. I mean, he, he is above all those guys. He's oh, yeah. Ex- yeah. extremely special. I'd love to have him. This is a huge. This is a must-win game this week. I mean, they have to win this football game uh, because this is you know one of the easier games supposedly uh, you know the rest of the year, and it's a team that has a lot of close losses. Uh, this Detroit Lions team. So I think the Vikings got to play great football, and if, if Dalvin can play and he thinks he can hold onto the ball, he's, he he needs to play. But uh, if he's not, you know, not uh, uh, where he thinks he can be, Dalvin Cook. Uh, you know, the, of all the things that he does, I love the fact that Madison, I love the, what, what he brings to the table, doesn't have that extreme burst, but has been so consistent consistent this year. I like the way he finishes runs as well, catches the ball in the backfield, looks like he's pretty good in protection. And again, those two guys behind him. So uh, the Vikings running back group is in good hands with and without Dalvin Cook. I agree with you on the Lions. It's amazing to look at what their record is and even some of their numbers on defense especially they haven't been great overall, but how many close games they've found a way to lose. Yeah. And I don't know how much of this is coaching and how much of it is, well, you lost Matt Stafford, and uh, David Blau actually did a good job. I was thinking, there's a journeyman in the future. That guy's going to play for eight teams and get a lot of starts based off what he did on Thanksgiving. But By the way, they're 3-8-1, and one, and they are 13th in the league in scoring points. Yeah. And seventh yeah. in total yards. I mean, their offense is at the very worst top half, if not probably in the top third in the league, and they've got three wins. So it's their defense that's let them down. And I saw a chart of how many times they had at least a 60% chance of winning the game by win probability model, and it's like half their games. That they've had at least half their losses, where they've had at least 60-70% chance to win and then found a way to lose. They almost beat... Uh, they were in there with the Vikings. They almost beat Kansas City. They almost beat Arizona, but blew that one. And uh, it's not a joke going into this game. I agree. I would say, though, you just really need Delvin Cook if you're going anywhere in the playoffs. I mean, let's, let's look at the last uh, uh, so many games. Lost to Bears by four. Uh, lost to Washington by three. Lost to Dallas by eight. Lost to Chicago by seven. Uh, <laughs> lost to Oakland a, by seven. Remarkable. Uh, beat the Giants by five. Lost to Minnesota by 12. Uh, lost to Green Bay by one. All right. Lost to Kansas City by four. <laughs> you know, beat Detroit or beat Philly by, uh, by, by three. They played in a lot of close ball games this year and uh, after start of the season with a tie. So they are 
they're gonna it's probably gonna be a close game is what I'm trying to say. And uh, if Dalvin Cook can play, man, that that would be that would be very nice. Yeah. And the only reason that I would say consider caution is Adam Thielen and the fact that he did not play against Seattle. He's now missed half the season with this hamstring injury, and maybe they'll get him back and be a stronger offense at the end of the year as opposed to the middle. But they made a mistake bringing him back too early. They made a mistake last year with Delvin Cook putting him out there with a hamstring injury, and then he ends up on a pitch count. Then he misses four straight games. And do you really want to play that game again if you can give him another week to heal when you do have good players back there? It's not like you're going from Delvin Cook to nobody. Uh, you're going from Delvin Cook to a guy you drafted who's very good. So I think so, it way, should so be what I believe, What I believe is for him to play, and again, I don't know much about his injury. I think it's just like clavicle injury. Yeah, clavicle. Is that right? Yep. Uh, so that could be I couldn't AC. find my clavicle. Like, yeah. Where is it? Is that like collarbone? <laughs> it's it's all the bones you have sticking out around your shoulders because you're so skinny. They, and you've never been on a bench press before. Oh, yeah, it's well, it's in that area. Hey, so anyway, but, but so what's going to happen is he and Shugs, uh, Eric Sugarman, their trainer, or their other trainers over there, they will do obviously tests. It's not just for him to say, yeah, I can go, or no, I can't go. Like they'll actually, if he wants to go, he's going to have to pass. Some some physical tests of strength tests, and you know the the trainers putting pressure on his shoulders, and him trying to lift up his arms, and and how much he can actually physically do that, and all those types of things before those trainers will even sign off on it. So we'll have to, you know, again, we don't know what that injury is. It may not have been too bad at all. It may have just been a slight AC separation, which with a nice little uh, uh, um, brace. Uh, you know, uh, he could hurt it or hurt hurt a little bit worse, but you know, chances are at that position, he's he's so tight, he's not a receiver who's ex- or a linebacker who's extending all the time mm-hmm. that uh, that he feels he feels like he can play. So uh, I guess we'll just have to see how the week goes. I will say to you that next summer you're coming up here. We're going to play basketball. I'm going to show you that I can do physical things. Okay, I just don't like weightlifting. All right. Um, I, I, I want to play basketball. You got to get a little something going. Yeah, I got I a shot. You have a slight height advantage, like a massive height advantage, actually. Yeah. Um, okay, so the last thing I wanted to play was from Kirk Cousins, who is on your side about the Detroit Lions. Well, you know, you'd have to be pretty immature to overlook them. I mean, just think about what happened against the Broncos here at home, what happened against the Bills last year. Every team is really good. They have, they have highly paid, highly skilled players, and, and we barely beat them in Detroit barely so uh you'd have to be pretty clueless to uh you know to ever use the word overlook in terms of getting ready for this one (laughs) I'm not saying that it was a bad question to ask about a Lions team that isn't that great and then you have you know some bigger games coming up but uh is there any more irritating question to NFL players about hey does uh, this team you're playing suck are we gonna gonna look them I here's the I super bad I think Cousins answered that great I always do think it's funny though when you play a team that doesn't have a good record one of the go-tos is they're pros too. They got those guys make a lot of money. There's some great athletes over there. We could lose the game, right? So it's you're trying to give them like, well, there's pros on that side too, and try to give them something. But in this situation, there's really no need for that. I mean, this is I think a quality ball club that if the ball bounces uh, the other way a couple different times this year, they could be in the hunt uh, in the NFC North. I, I, I truly believe that. So this is a quality ball club. The Vikings are, I think, going to have to play a, a, a really good game. 
a really, really good game. Can't be like uh, games two and games four. If they play like that, they will lose this football game. And if they play like they played the first half against uh, the Broncos, they will lose this football game as well. So they're going to have to play uh, at the top of their level, uh, offense and defense. Corner's going to have to play better. The offensive line's going to have to play great and run the football and get that play action and bootleg game going. And Cousins is going to have to hit the guys uh, who are open, whoever's out there. So this team has to play their best football. And uh, I like the way this team is set up to do that, though, uh, because I like the way this offense uh, has, has been really executing over the course of the last uh, six or eight weeks. So I have something on that, a little mini study that I did that I want to talk about for our website, scorenorth.com. But I also want to ask you before the break, um, how many of those Wednesday press conferences did you do when you knew you were going to start? And how, was there ever a question like that? Was there ever a question where you had to test your patience and take a, a bit of a deep breath? No, I don't think so. You know, I uh, most of those would have occurred uh, when I was with uh, the Texans, and you know that the media market in in, uh, in Houston with you know John McClain as sort of the, the 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 old guy who runs the whole thing down there. Uh, I think they call him the general, uh, but uh, you know it was not a hard market. Like they weren't trying to stir up controversies. It didn't seem like you know, playing in New York. You, I would hear Eli, you know, giving those press conferences and those questions that they would try to come up with something. But Houston wasn't too aggressive, so there wasn't too many times in my career where I was really irked by you know some ridiculous question. Yeah, that that has to be up there um, under the like guaranteed. You are getting uh, an annoyed answer coming back. Like you have to ask, hey, this is a game against a bad team. You have to somehow figure out a way to ask about the other team not being very good without insulting the other team because any NFL player is going to be like. Dude, they're NFL players. Come on, it's not easy. Well, it's so. it's a real thing in college football and in high school football where teams are truly outmatched. And in the NFL, uh, teams are not truly outmatched. I mean, there's even the really really bad teams. Um, they have a chance to to beat good quality ball clubs. I mean, Philadelphia is not a terrible football team by any means, and they lost to the Dolphins, who mm-hmm. we all thought had completely given up last week. Right. And they somehow right. got three. They got three wins. Right. They've like traded away everybody. That's good. That's the Fitz magic, got, man. Right. Yeah. So you also, know. Also, I told you so on the Bengals. Just saying. Yeah. Just Bengals saying. got their win. Andy Dalton. I don't think Andy Dalton's a terrible quarterback. No, I, think I don't either. That's why I would have kept him on the bench. He's been dealing with the stacked deck. Uh, he's playing Cincinnati. You know, there's just some bad franchises out there, and that seems to be one of them over the course of the last, you know, thirty or forty years. Uh, you know, for the most part, or whatever. So, uh, if he goes somewhere else next year, I, I'd be interested in seeing where he goes and you know what type of offense they run. I think he could do just fine in this Gary Kubiak style offense. Um, okay, when we return, uh, our friend Robert Mays from the Ringer, who comes on all the time, he tweeted something very interesting that uh, I need to run by you and get your take on it, Sage. Matthew Collar, former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North has already run contests for $50,000 in cash and we're regularly giving away tickets to local games, gift cards to local restaurants, and much, much more. But in order to reap these rewards, you must have the Score North mobile app available for free in the Apple or Google Play stores. Xavier Rhodes, as was mentioned briefly, 
did apologize. He talked to the media today and he apologized for his outburst and the way he acted on Monday night. And he was asked if that frustration was a thing that was just built up after that one play or over the entire season. Here's what he said. I just can't say it's just been that play. It's just been what's been going on this year. You know, and, um, I've been battling some things, but uh, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. You know, when I'm out there on that field, I'm not there. Everything I'm battling, I have to go away. You know, I have to go out there and, and play for the guy outside of me because I know if I mess up like I messed up on that one play, that's what it's going to lead up to. You know, uh, like I said, I've been in this league for a while, seven years, and I should know that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't come to this point where I'm just figuring that out, preparing to it, you know, and it's just that, you know, I just know now that what I need to work on, what I need to do. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. I would say this about Xavier Rhodes, that he is uh, unfortunately become the guy that we're constantly talking about, and his poor play is one of the major reasons the defense isn't what it used to be. My experience covering Xavier Rhodes is that he has been a really detailed player who loves the craft and the art, and actually on Thursday, so tomorrow, Terrence Newman is going to come on, and he and Xavier are very close, so we're going to ask him about Xavier Rhodes, me and Alex Boone, tomorrow. Um, And I can't imagine, Sage, how much it kills somebody to have been an all-pro in the NFL, the pinnacle of the league, and being talked about as the number one shutdown guy and struggling this much. I mean, that must be a nightmare. Yeah, it's a physical game, and uh, you only can play it for so long. And at some point, your body says, no, you can't do this anymore. Even if you feel good, it'll just say, no, you can't do this that quick, that fast, that explosive anymore. That's just the way it goes. Your body just gets old over time. We all know this. Any listener who's no longer uh, 23 years old uh, understands that you can't quite do the things you could do when you were, you know, sometimes even in high school uh, or college or your first years in the NFL. And uh, the NFL game will usually make that go faster, actually, than the average person in a lot of ways because uh, you, you have surgeries, you have this, you have that. Of course, you're constantly training, but uh, at some point your body says no, and that's the most frustrating is because you were a great player. Uh, you There's so many things you could do in the past, and then to just sort of physically can't do them, but maybe not always under, even understand why, other than the fact that your body just doesn't respond the way it used to. Uh, and that must be, you know, it, it is. I, I sort of went through that myself. I couldn't throw the ball with as much, with as much juice and those type of things uh, as I could early in my career. And uh, that was frustrating at the end of my career. I just didn't have uh, the strength I had when I was younger. And so I saw it in my, in my and of course, the you know, seven or eight years since then, really I've seen that, uh, to I can't do, I, I think about the workouts I used to do as an NFL player, and there's no way that I could do those now. And so, yeah, that is very, that can be very frustrating uh, when you feel like it, you, you want to play at a really, really high level, and you just haven't been now for, for basically two years. And I think where we saw that with Xavier Rhodes is in the past, on a coverage bust or something goes wrong, Wrong. He had great closing speed. This is a guy who ran a four four at six foot one. So he had the length combined with the speed to possibly catch up. I mean, that and was thickness, right? I mean, that the guy is—he's not like a, uh, a skinny little guy out mm-hmm. there. I mean, I—I—I I, I don't know if he could play safety. But I, I do wonder because he is one of those big corners who's a, a pretty good tackler, and I wonder if that might be a position that he could play. We've seen that transition uh, from some good tackling corners in the past. Yeah, I definitely think that could be in his future, but probably not here would be my guess. Is If he was going to make a transition, it would be really hard to do it 
in Minnesota, especially with the contract situation that, you know, who's going to, maybe it'd be a restructure, but it has to be a significant one if he was going to make that sort of switch. Um, but I, I want to switch gears, huh? see what I did there, um, and talk about something that I saw from our buddy Robert Mays from The Ringer, what he tweeted a couple hours ago. So Jonathan Jones, who has long covered the uh, Carolina Panthers, he writes for CBS now, but he covered the Carolina Panthers. He said that they are looking for this in their new head coach. Offensive-minded, loves analytics, fine with an arranged marriage with a general manager, so not somebody that they had a previous relationship with, um, and may not necessarily have an answer on the quarterback when he takes the job. That all sounds like Kevin Stefanski, is what Robert Mays said. And I can't help but agree with him, that if you're looking for somebody who has been forward-thinking, modern coach, and has come out and proven it this year... Um, and proven that he can work with somebody else. The situation with Kubiak, and I know you've talked about what a great guy Gary Kubiak is, but it had the potential to be uncomfortable with you've got an older guy who's proven, who has a Super Bowl and all this stuff, who's over you, but he's not really over you by his job status and all those sorts of things, and yet that relationship has worked out beautifully with the Vikings offense this year. Well, can I add, by the way, like was given coaches and didn't have a chance to select them. Right, uh, right. He Kevin didn't Steph- pick I mean, Rick Dennison, right? Yeah, here's here's your O-line coach. Okay, you know, where right. can I sign? Right. And there's a reason Kevin has lasted in this organization, I think, since 2006 uh, when he first showed up um, as sort of an assistant to the head coach and was busy doing all sorts of things that weren't really coaching football initially and then got into being a, a quality control, which is sort of your in the college version, it's a grad assistant. You're uh, putting playbooks together and doing a lot of film work and uh, a lot of the dirty work, you know, sort of to prepare the head coaches and the, the coordinators and the assistant coaches and all those types of things. And, and you know, has worked its way up from position to finally get a position coach. I think it was running backs coach and somewhere along the line was tight ends coach and then quarterbacks coach. He, he always wanted to be a quarterbacks coach. He knew that was how you get to be a head coach and mm-hmm. has now, I think, done a very good job as a coordinator. Uh, I consider him a friend, so i am sort of always been rooting for him. It doesn't always mean they're always going to be successful. I, I consider Jason Garrett a friend, too, and obviously he has had a, you know, a, done a great job job as a head coach but love the guy and I, I do think Kevin Stefanski has done a nice job in his first season with basically whatever players you have uh, whatever coaches you want to give me I'll work with them and we'll try to figure out how to how to win football games and, and make this offense be productive and this Vikings offense has been productive this year uh, they are much improved over last year uh, the offensive line has played better I think Kirk uh, has played better and, uh, and and they're winning more football games and so he, he is he does he fits in that that mold is what you said an offensive minded coach I imagine Kevin likes uh, uh, analytics, you know, he's uh, just because you're an Ivy League person doesn't mean necessarily mean you're super smart. Uh, but I know uh, Kevin's a guy who likes facts and and likes some of the numbers that he thinks are important and, and how you win football games. And uh, you know, he said, I you know he, he he's I say he's a, he's a smart guy, and uh, and I think that uh, he's, and he also has good relationships with uh, uh you know with the other with the quarterbacks, with the players. I, I don't know if I've ever been around a player who really didn't like him, right? So uh, I, I think that he will get a chance to be a head coach this year. Uh, I'm not sure where, but this is definitely one of those teams that's looking for one early, and he does fit a lot of those criteria that you talked about uh, that uh, that Jonathan Jones uh, re- reported on. I, I think I, what is, from what I saw, was it Jonathan Jones? Yeah, I've, yep. I've seen the tweet here. Yep. Um, and um, what I found is interesting was he says, but may, not, but may not have an answer on his QB when he takes the job. Yeah. That's the last yep. one. So that 
is obviously, of all the things you take from that, uh, other than Kevin Stefanski, that goes into the Cam Newton conversation and, uh, and, the, and the kid Allen, the Kyle Allen that they have there, and what, what's going to happen going forward. Maybe it's Andy Dalton. You know, maybe who right. knows what's yeah. going to be there. But again, you know, I don't think Kevin, I think Kevin does a good job of, you know, whatever role you put him in. I think he has done, he has excelled at that job, whether it was, uh, you know, Childress's assistant or, or now the offensive coordinator. So I imagine as a head coach, uh, he put a good staff together and, and have a quality ball club. So that last part of it is the most interesting about not being sure who your quarterback is going to be. Cam Newton is supposed to have surgery, which seems kind of late in the game to have surgery now and who knows what his staff is going to be he might just be in the Andrew Luck category of being so beat up that he can't have a very long career but I don't get the sense uh, Sage that this is going to be the only job that uh, will want uh, or only team that will want to interview Kevin Stefanski about a head coaching job if you were Kevin Stefanski looking at some of the teams that could change coaches I'm thinking Cleveland with I mean goodbye Freddie after the somebody said Ron Rivera to Cleveland makes a lot of sense it's like let's get an adult I totally agree with that right I mean Ron Rivera is so well respected and they have been pretty consistent uh, you know, in that division in his nine seasons as the Carolina Panthers head coach. Um, and I think that he would, I mean, that, that they definitely need an adult in the room, not, not someone who wears a T-shirt to talk trash to the other team about a fight, yeah. uh, that his player was definitely the more wrong than the other player. Right. About 90% of the country would agree with that. So, um, you know, they need an adult, and I think Ron Rivera would be a great fit in, with, with the Cleveland Browns. I totally agree, but they were interested in Stefanski last year and almost gave him that job, which maybe they're in the playoffs right now if they do give him that job. So if you... I don't, or, or that might be the best thing that ever happened to Kevin Stefanski. Like, you're walking into... You know, a situation with Baker, uh, OBJ. I mean, that that there's that that team. Maybe that wasn't the, a coach that is not a drill sergeant or whatever. I, mean, I don't know what that team needs, but it's not what it has currently. And you know, sometimes you look back and it's like the deals you didn't do are the best deals mm-hmm. that you ever did. Uh, and maybe we don't know, but maybe for Kevin, since he didn't get that job, that opens him up to a, a much better job somewhere else, or or just to really prove himself uh, you know, from whatever he learns this year under Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison and and uh, and run this Minnesota Vikings offense. That's right. He showed that he deserves to get more interviews than just the one that he got last year. So between the teams that are likely going to fire their coaches, I think Doug Marone is done in Jacksonville. Freddie Kitchen's probably done in Cleveland. And if Atlanta doesn't make a change, that would really stun me. I mean, they're 3-9 and nine Atlanta, right now. Dallas. And Dallas is looking that way. There's a good chance with Dallas. I'm not sure they would take a, a shot on somebody who's never been a head coach before. If they go 8-8. Eight and eight, but they win a playoff game, mm. I think Jason keeps his job. Really? If they okay. go 8-8 eight and, eight and they yeah. lose the first-round playoff game, but they win that division, then I he's think gone. he – or even 9-7, and seven, they lose the first round. I think the only thing that can really save Jason Garrett is them getting hot at the end of the season and are winning at least one playoff game. Yeah. I think even getting in the playoffs in that terrible division of the NFC East, I think he's still fired. So that's – was that number – is that four? Yeah, we know we're that talking about? Washington is already open and <laughs> – Possibly, it's always in the mix. Always, right? The mix. Always. I mean, that's five. Th- to me, that's going to be a no for me, dog. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, Kevin, don't take that no, job. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> Unless you really need the money, right? Uh, but the Giants is possible, and the Los Angeles Chargers possible. So, which one of those teams would you think is the best situation to go? 
Well, the Chargers are probably going to be starting over or starting over soon mm-hmm. with the quarterback situation. Yep. Um, the Vikings have a young guy. I, I mean, I'm sort of curious of how, like, the Meritish, the owners, you know, the Pat Shermer, and I have a guy who learned under Pat Shermer. So, like, that might. They may not want that. Right. Since, uh, yeah. Shermer hasn't had much success there. Yeah. Uh, sort of guilty by association or something. Um, Jacksonville, I don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be next week, but Foles got a huge deal, and now he's riding the bench for yeah. for Minshew down there. So that's up in the air. Carolina's up in the air. It, it uh, usually goes hand-in-hand, hand, right? I mean, if your quarterback situation is bad, then coaches get fired. That's Atlanta, Atlanta might be a nice fit. Yeah. You know, I don't know what what stat, or what or uh, Matt Ryan has left in the tank and exactly how he's played this year. I don't think his stats are bad. I love They have great receivers there. Uh, you know, so maybe you could put together an offense like the Vikings that, uh, and then try to hire somebody to, to, you know, improve that defense, which I think is one of their weaknesses this year in Atlanta, uh, which again, that's supposed to be their head coach's specialty, Dan Quinn, and, uh, that side of the football, it's not playing very well. So that could be a spot, uh, where, where, where Kevin, uh, you know, joined with a coordinator that is basically not even his choosing, but the, the, I mean, the ownership did that when they hired Dan Quinn. I don't know if you know that, but when they hired Dan Quinn, it was a package deal. Dan, you're going to be the, the head coach, defensive coordinator. Kyle Shanahan is the offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and you basically have not, like, th- he didn't have a chance to hire his coordinator. Yeah, well, the, that, the, that worked out really well for him. Worked out great. And, and it was worked probably, out great, right? So, they should have fired Quinn and kept Shanahan probably. They, right? You know, so maybe that's what happens this time is that they say to Kevin, you know, you're, you're going to be the offensive coordinator head coach and you were going to give you a defensive coordinator you don't have much say in it and my guess is that kevin would probably take that deal i mean mm-hmm. uh but uh you know that that's the hard part and you hope that they hire a, a kyle shanahan of the defense that would be really really nice as an offensive coordinator so that that job does make some sense as carolina job uh could make some sense too and uh but right now we got north turner Old Nor yeah. ran the show in Carolina. Right. Uh, is he going to be the uh, the head coach, or is it going to be Perry Fuel? Uh, I think it's going to be Perry Fuel. Perry who, Fuel. Okay, so it's going to be Perry, who was my defense coordinator uh, when I was with the New York Giants right. uh, in, in that one season in Minnesota. So uh, I love Perry Fuel, and our defense is pretty good. So we'll, we'll see how they do uh, the rest of the season down there in Carolina. Real quick, Perry Fuel, sort of um, not exactly a story about him, but about how he was an interim coach before. Uh, when Dick Duran was the coach of the Bills, they played a game against Tennessee where I think they had some playoff chances still going into a late season type of game. And uh, Dick Duran decided to decline a penalty that allowed Tennessee to kick a field goal to go up by a couple of scores. And then Bud Adams, who was probably in his 90s at that point, uh, there was something else that happened, a kick return for touchdown or pick six or something. And Bud Adams gave the Bills the double bird like on TV. And then I they, remember that. Yes, and then they fired Dick Duran and made Perry Fuel the the coach for the last couple of games. And I thought at the time that Fuel actually way, did a really some good wild, job. I know you're, you're in Buffalo for a while. There's some wild stories over there in Buffalo that oh, we yeah. weren't always paying attention to yes. uh, in the Midwest. And so that's always interesting. There's a lot of coaches travel through Buffalo. Everyone probably has a couple of Buffalo stories if you're uh, a, a long-time NFL I mean, head, a long-time a, NFL coach. A couple on the Vikings staff. George Edwards, I think, was at one point, and Jerry Gray was the defensive coordinator. So you're right. They Greg Roman. I mean, it's funny how like uh, Rex Ryan didn't work out, but Anthony Anthony Lynn became a head coach and won 12 games last year. Greg Roman is the hot name now, um, now that he's the Ravens coordinator, and he was working under Rex Ryan with Tyrod Taylor. They had a good enough staff. They just were cursed. So, Do, Are we problem. thinking that's, that the Los Angeles Chargers are going to change their staff? Is that I don't know. I mean? 
Yeah, it's a good or question. Or is it just a quarterback or, you know, what situation there? I just don't watch enough Chargers football to, to you know, have all those answers. So but they're, they're the lines, fact they played so well last year, I'd hate to have a guy get fired the year after because yeah. it's like, man, you can't even have – you should be able to have an occasional losing season, sometimes even two in a row. I mm. mean, uh, if you're firing a guy after one bad year, after having a good year, uh, you're doing a bad job as ownership of picking the wrong people, obviously, that, you know, can't do it consistently. So uh, I like sticking with guys as, as long as – as possible and and uh but you know uh, we, we'll see what they do in with the los angeles chargers yeah and they're kind of the lions of the afc where they've lost every game by seven points this year pretty much and found really creative ways to lose uh, before we wrap up um well we have to touch on at least one journeyman quarterback for the lions but i want to get a real quick take from you on something i wrote sage uh, this vikings defense has been criticized a lot they deserve it they're mid-pack they should be much better than that but i went through the last 20 teams to make the super bowl just reach the super bowl and the average rank on offense with expected points added because yards can be really wonky um like dallas is number one in yards but congratulations they're not the best team um but Expected points added usually gives us a clear view. The average team on offense is sixth. The average team to make the Super Bowl of the last 20 teams on defense is 13th, which I think tells us about kind of which side of the ball is going to drive you through the playoffs as opposed to trying to win only with defense usually doesn't work. The Vikings in these categories are fourth and 17th. They kind of profile as that type of team, but... The other side of that coin is after that loss, they're probably going to have to go on the road. And the last team that had to go on the road uh, multiple times to get to the Super Bowl was Baltimore in 2012. So I, I wonder how that strikes you, that offense teams that rank higher in offense usually have a better shot to reach the Super Bowl. But and sometimes teams that have like the elite offenses or at least passing yards, you're talking about like yardage, sometimes those teams aren't as great because they're having to throw the ball so much and right. uh, you know, there's that sort of efficiency number in there that's sort of so hard to quantify, but like how efficient is an offense and you know, points per drive and per play and you know, at the end of the day I always feel like it's all about points. Like how many points are you actually scoring? That that's that's more valuable than yards in particular, passing yards. Like I'm not that always that impressed with like a four hundred yard pass. Day. Yes, uh, I prefer not. A lot of to times have you were losing. A lot of losses in four hundred yard passing games. There's a reason Texas Tech under Kingsbury, like you know, was always five hundred in the Big Twelve Conference, despite the fact that they had you know Pat Mahomes as their quarterback. I mean, can you imagine a college football team having Pat Mahomes as their quarterback <laughs> and know. you know they can win six football lose, games, right? <laughs> right? So I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's it's good for record the record books and those types of things, but it doesn't always mean you know winning football games. And um, so uh, you know, we'll, 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 we, we we shall see how all that works out. So I want to get your opinion on Dave Craig and whether you consider him a journeyman quarterback because he was a franchise quarterback for a very long time for Seattle, but then became a journeyman. This is a very unique category of quarterback, Sage, that very few fit into. But I was watching a Thanksgiving game from, I don't know, 1994 or something, where Dave Craig is the quarterback of Detroit. For just one year in 94, he goes 5-2 and two as a starter. His post-Seattle career went Kansas City, Detroit, Arizona, Chicago, Tennessee, and he got various starts at all of those places. Can we put that sort of distinction on one guy as being a like plus 30 journeyman? Yeah, that that's super interesting to have a guy in one place for what 11 or 12 seasons up in Seattle and then really bounce around almost year to year yeah. to one, two, three, four, five more football teams after that. I mean, he was a three-time pro bowler. 
and uh, has a, a six-team uh, career a, a, as a quarterback. You just don't see it that much, a guy in one place for that long, and then all of a sudden bouncing around a ton after that. But, uh, you know, hats off to him. Uh, you know, the guy that can play for, for, for that long, absolutely incredible. He played for, what, 19 seasons? Am I looking at this right? 1980 to 1998. Uh, I tell you what, guys starting, players started making a lot more money when you started getting to the <laughs> 90s, too. Yeah. I don't know how much they That's made right. from I'll just hang around. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know how much you made from 1980 to 1980. 1991 uh, with the league at that, at that time, even as being a starter for a yeah. lot of that portion mm-hmm. in Seattle, and then all of a sudden, you know, the league really starts growing in the 90s and then the 2000s. And so, uh, if you can make uh, some, some decent money there at the end of his career, you know, why not? And so, uh, you know, good for him. Definitely a, a, a great. I, I, there's probably a category there of starter for one team and then journeyman backup after that. The geriatric that- journeyman. Yep, the guy who yep, the guy who was a starter, he was a good player and then at the very end of his career he bounces around to a bunch of teams as a backup. That would be like Bernie Kosar. Kosar, great quarterback in Cleveland, he's a legend and then he ends up like on Dallas and wins a Super Bowl with them. He ends up on Miami where he supposedly came up with the that famous play where Marino faked the spike and then threw the touchdown. So there are a number of geriatric journeymen and just real quick something that's really great about Dave Craig's post uh, Seattle career when he is the our geriatric journeyman is in 1995 he won four games four and twelve as Arizona starter but had fourth quarter comebacks in three of them. Unbelievable, <laughs> little career. My journeyman backup this week. All right, is a guy that I feel like I just can't escape. All right, I'm on Twitter a lot. He's all over Twitter, constantly watching videos now of him describing plays. Now he's on all the morning shows on ESPN. He's on uh, ESPN yes. Get Up. He's calling college this. football games. I see. He's. I cannot escape Dan Orlovsky. I cannot <laughs> escape him. He's. He's everywhere. And a guy that uh, you know drafted by the Lions from Connecticut, by the way, and from that Bristol. You know, area, part of the country. So he's, I think he always probably knew he was going to get into doing some TV. But I think it does help the fact that, he, you know, he wasn't a famous starter, mm-hmm. uh, but he was in Detroit, Houston Texans, again with Gary Kubiak. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I believe Kyle, maybe Kyle Shane, I'm not sure, but definitely Kubiak. The Colts, Tampa Bay, Detroit, second stint. Second stint. I knew it was coming. Los Angeles wait. Rams uh, to, to finish out his career. So that guy saw a lot of things, saw a lot of uh, offenses, and, and learned a lot of tips. And he is now taking that to the to the real. I mean, he's a lot more, uh, way more famous now. I would have to say than he was as a player. So, oh, no question, Dan yeah. Orlovsky is my journeyman quarterback of the week. And the best part about Dan Orlovsky is that he ran out of the back of the end zone and he owns it. So sometimes... Yeah, why well, did the helicopter I was going to say... You have, if you don't own it, you're, you're sort of pathetic. That's you know, right. It's like, how big is your ego that you can't and, say you made a stupid mistake? And our buddy Gus smashed his head on a brick wall. Like, yeah, you know. You know these, these things happen. If you don't have one of those, you know, I mean, if you don't have one of <laughs> that those... That might be another qualifier. Like, weird you weird to moments. And it has to be a terrible bad. one. Like, yes. maybe does Josh McCown have, like, he, like mm. a fumble, oh, a butt I'm fumble or something like that? Like that would probably some seasons where he won, like, two games out of 15. There's got to yeah. be some bad moments for McCown. I believe he has I at just, least two. He might have two, if not three, second stints. I just love him so places. much that I refuse to acknowledge them. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, quite the group. It's yeah, quite the group. And Orlovsky really is. is uh, uh, he is. He's. He's about as famous as any former journeyman quarterback that we've talked about a post career. 
Yep, uh, you are right. He has done a great job, and his videos are really instructional and shows you that people do love the X's and O's of the game. So uh, awesome stuff, Sage, as always. Great to catch up with you again. We'll be together on Monday to break it all down, what happened with uh, David Blau against the Vikings. So we'll talk to you then, man. Thanks for uh, your time. Yeah, and I, I plan to be at the game uh, on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. Looking forward to it. All right, well, don't. Um, now let's see. Hold on. I've got it. I know we're late. Um, well, hopefully it doesn't snow and they have to blow you out of your driveway. Well, there you go. Plow, plow. Okay. All right. That was uh, not where I should have gone with it. All right, Sage. We'll see you at the game then, man. See you, Matthew. <laughs> All right. Uh, Judd Zolgad's going to join me next. Uh, also, uh, we'll have a guest from Pro Football Focus as well. So we'll be right back here on Purple Daily. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I don't really look at the, the uh, I don't really look at the other teams too much. I don't worry, you know, who's this and who's that. Um, you know, I, I have an idea what records are, are where, but um, we are so focused on what we have to do and where, you know, and where we're at. And you know, we got a month left in the season, and we we need to take advantage of this thing now. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad here. Steve Palazzolo will join us at three thirty. Manny steps into the producer chair, which we will utilize for some hot routes shortly. Um, that I am spinning the wheels on right now. It's more of an impromptu hot routes, but we'll get to that in, in just a couple of minutes. I want to talk to you, Judd, about offense and defense. Imagine, right? It's football. football. Yep. But I was taking a look last night at all of the teams over the last 10 years, so 20 teams, who have made the Super Bowl and where they ranked in expected points added. So that factors in the situation of the game. If you are, uh, you know, I don't know, if you gain... 20 yards, it, it, let's say you're first down and 10 at the 20 or something, you score a touchdown. Well, that'd be six points added because you scored a touchdown. So it's it's hard to try to encapsulate it, but it's just performance versus situation. Okay. All right. And uh, I think it tells the clearest depiction as opposed to, well, this team had this many yards, but they lost a bunch of games and were down and it didn't matter. Uh, so this tells you a little better about performance. The Vikings right now are fourth in the NFL in expected points added on offense and 17th on defense. We never would have guessed 17th on defense at this point in the season, especially when you've hit a couple of backup quarterbacks, which Mike Zimmer defenses usually blow off the face of the earth. Now, here's what's interesting. Last year in the Super Bowl, the New England Patriots ranked fourth on offense. The Los Angeles Rams were 17th on defense. Both of those teams made the Super Bowl. Two years ago, New England had the best offense and was 30th in defense. Three years ago, Atlanta had the best offense, 25th on defense. And it's very rare that you find any teams who were not good on offense. Uh, In fact, you have to go back, aside from the Denver Broncos with Manning, they were 27th in 2015. You have to go all the way back to Pittsburgh in 2010 to find another offense that was bottom half of the league. Mm-hmm. But defense, you've got all sorts of them. Indianapolis, you have a New York Giants team that actually wasn't that great on defense. The first time Denver went to the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, bad defense, and they got beat in that Super Bowl. Um, I guess my point is that you would be really hard-pressed to find a team that goes to the Super Bowl that doesn't have an awesome offense. Almost always that. Mm-hmm. But defense, it's a mixed bag. 
Denver was in there, great. Uh, Seattle's in there, number one. Some of the other teams, Philadelphia, the year that they beat the pants off the Vikings, they had a great defense that year. But it's kind of more all over the map. And I guess my point is, this may sound weird, but at this point in the season, 12 games through going in the final quarter, the Vikings probably, because of this, have the best chance to go to the Super Bowl they've had based on this makeup that is driven by offense and not defense in the entire Mike Zimmer era. Is that, is that a <sighs> that uh, d- outrageous statement to you? Um, knowing, okay, from a statistical standpoint, what you said I get, and it's not outrageous. From a standpoint of how this team was supposed to be built, I'm still trying to get my head around the fact that it, it has it has morphed to this point, if that makes sense. So I get I get what the stats say. That makes sense. I guess my other question would be, too, of those offenses that we're talking about, several of which have been pretty good, successful offenses, who have the quarterbacks been on a consistent basis. Yep. Um, something about how this Vikings team is operating as a whole, to me, I guess, to, to make this as simple as possible, doesn't feel right, which sure. is why I feel weird about it. Sure, and I think that that is a fair assessment. And part of it is why you wouldn't feel like you had the fourth best offense in the league is that a lot of those performances that jacked up those numbers were against teams that are absolutely horrific. Yeah, and absolutely. And that is a factor that you can't ignore about this team when you're trying to figure out what their chances are to go deep in the postseason. It is an obnoxious point to make, but you have to make it. You have to say, I'm sorry, you haven't beaten anyone with a winning record. You've only gotten three shots at it, and you're 0 for 3. And especially that each time that you've had a chance to beat a winning team, Mm -hmm. your quarterback had the ball in his hands with an opportunity to win a game and did not do it. And here's the intriguing thing about that statement um, as it applies to the last real drive by the Vikings on Monday night. Sitting in the studio, I turned to Mackey, and I said, you know what? If that was Brett Favre with the ball, I would say, they're going to score. With Kirk Cousins, and this is not a put-down of Kirk, but with Kirk, I said, I wonder if they can score. Mm-hmm. And that, and I, I don't think that's an outrageous statement or place to be. I don't think there are. And look, this is not a wide range of quarterbacks, but there are quarterbacks who you say to yourself, oh, Seattle gave that quarterback too much time, or there's plenty of time for that guy to operate. And I think he's good, or I know he's going to score. And if he doesn't, you're surprised. And with Kirk, I said, I wonder if they can. And, and when they didn't, when they went three plays or went four plays, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised and, either. And that's not meant to denigra- denigrate Kirk Cousins. That's just the reality of how I felt about that. And again, this whole thing with how the Vikings have landed here feels odd. And, and I do feel, as as a Minnesota sports fan, that there's a tutorial here as well, that the 2019 Twins, the 2019 Gopher football team, and the 2019 Vikings have something very much in common. They are all pretty good teams. I like them. They're good teams. And they beat the snot out of bad teams. And they can compete with average teams. And if you give them another really good team, I can't get to the Vikings now and be like, this one's going to be different. (laughs) And what's interesting about that comparison is that all three teams have the thing that drives your success. I mean, the Twins with home runs, offense, drives success. 
And then a quarterback for the Gophers, which, like, what? A quarterback? But Tanner Morgan's a great quarterback for the college level. And then quarterback play for the Vikings and where you rank in the pass and, and how you're able to produce offensively is the thing that's going to drive you to the Super Bowl. But it is the same feeling with all of them that they're just missing that one thing. And from maybe the Gopher standpoint, it's the game management that they were missing. Or maybe if it's a dominant defensive player other than Winfield that they don't really seem to have. Someone who just takes over games and gets a strip sack to win you the game or, or something. Um, and then on the Vikings side, what they're missing is A, the ability to get a big stop on defense, which definitely hurts you. But if we're just talking about the offense, the only thing that you can really come up with that they're short on is... An offensive line that you're certain is going to be able to stop a pass rush in a big situation, which I am still not on this offensive line, and a quarterback who you believe can make a play when it is most called upon. That is just not his way of playing quarterback. Jack Del Rio said it to you guys in the afternoon show yesterday, and Mike Zimmer said it on his conference call with... With Kirk Cousins, he didn't have to throw that ball on fourth down to Irv Smith when he threw it, but it was a classic Kirk Cousins thing. He went through his progression, he made the throw he's probably supposed to make per the progression, but what Zimmer and Del Rio said was, but don't you have to move around a little there? I mean, I, I, yeah, you did the right thing, Kirk. Right. But this is the Kirk Cousins story is, didn't you have to move around a little there? And with Wilson or with Watson or with even when Carson Wentz is really good or Dak Prescott or, or, or even, you know, Brady and Breeze, they find ways to do this. When it's not immediately there, they find some sort of creative way to make it be there. Mm-hmm. And at the end of games, as a Minnesota Viking, Kirk Cousins has come up short so many times. And, okay, in Green Bay last year, he did not in Week 2. He played great down the stretch of that game. They still couldn't get it done to get a win. I know it's not his fault, but that's the Kirk Cousins story. It's not his fault. The other night, it's not his fault. It's like it's always not his fault entirely, except for maybe Seattle last year or Buffalo. But, I mean, even then, you could blame it on somebody else. That's football, right? There's a bunch of guys out there. It's not always his fault. But you you don't have to lead... Uh, field goal drives in Green Bay. You don't have to get down 22-7 in Green Bay. And when you have a chance to lead a touchdown drive, you don't get that done. In Los Angeles, he plays a great game in Los Angeles. He was spectacular, but what happens at the end? He's strip-sacked. You go to Chicago. He's down by one score with the ball in the fourth quarter. This is 2018. And he throws a pick six. In New England, you're down in the fourth quarter, and he targets on fourth down Laquan Treadwell. And, you know, Seattle, their defense last year is playing great and they can't move the ball at all. And then the same thing for that last Bears game, where at the end of the game, you're still in it and it's just not happening. And Mm -hmm. so far this year, all their losses, except for Chicago, where he just no showed completely, there's been a chance for Kirk Cousins to make this a truly special season. He throws a pick in Green Bay. They go three and out in Kansas City and get a bad punt from Britton Colquitt. Again, not all Kirk's fault. Never is. And uh, against Seattle, you've got a ton of time, a ton of timeouts, a defense that isn't that good, an offense that has playmakers. And But did you ever have the feeling in that drive that he was going to do it? No, and that's the point about... <laughs> They line up their offense with teams that have made the Super Bowl recently, and that is exciting. I mean, that is something that has not been here in a very, very long time, since 2009, where I could legit say, this is a Super Bowl offense by their statistics. You could, you would have had to put asterisks near any other time you tried to say that in this era outside of 2009. 
Uh, and yet, there is still this sort of feeling of, can you really get over that hump when it comes to going on the road in a playoff game? Because their three playoff-style games this year have all been lost in a very similar fashion. And I, and that's why, though, uh, to, to go back to those stats, and the reason why I don't think that they probably practically apply to this team, is that te- this team is was supposed to be so built on a defense that could hold, right? A defense that could hold up its end of the bargain and give Cousins a cushion, give Cousins... I have never, since the day I've seen him play, and I don't think that there is more of an eye test uh, quarterback that I've ever covered beyond that is more than Kirk is. Kirk is the ultimate eye test guy. The statistics with Kirk mean nothing to me. The eye test does. And I don't think I've ever covered a guy who I can tell you definitively... I think he can do a lot of things, and I think he can make a lot of throws, and I think he's actually very talented. But if I have to say, Kirk, I got bad news. The defense is simply not that good, and so you need to be that good, and I need you to do this, and there is a minute 50 left on the clock, I think it's too much. And that might not be fair, but I thought we saw it again on Monday where it just looked like that last drive, it it was too much, which is why you need your defense uh, to hold up. But unfortunately, after watching that game, Matthew, I don't think that there is a a um, fix here. I don't think that there is a solution. I think this defense, unfortunately, is this defense. Okay, we're going to talk more about this with Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus in a few minutes. But since you're here, and mm-hmm. since Manny is filling in for Jonathan for the hour, I figured why not do some hot routes. Love it. We've got some other things going on around the league, so let's do it. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid-fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 dragon smoke. It's Hot Routes on Purple Daily. 588! All right, we'll, uh, we'll pick up the pace like a two-minute offense here so we can get in a few things before Steve Palazzolo. I'm going to give you guys three teams. You tell me if you're Kevin Stefanski whose job you would take for next year. Carolina Panthers, Cleveland Browns, Jacksonville Jaguars, go Judd. Uh, Cleveland Browns, number one on my list. Uh, Carolina Panthers, two. Jacksonville, am I really stuck with Nick Foles? I think so, but he did win a Super Bowl, just saying. Uh, you know what? He is great in Philadelphia. Okay. What about you, Manny? I will go that same order. I think Cleveland, number one, with a bullet. I mean, just because of the talent there. you got a young quarterback. Carolina it is kind of an iffy situation with the quarterback, mm-hmm. which is it going to be Cam Newton? Is it going to be Kyle Allen? I don't know. But you, but you do have Christian McCaffrey, which is good. And then Jacksonville, I don't know if there's a whole lot there around Nick Foles to really work with, so that's why they're number three. Follow-up hot route, uh, is there a surprise team you think that'll move on from their coach that Kevin Stefanski could end up with their team? I don't think this is a surprise, but I I would say the team that's come to mind a lot of late for me is the Atlanta Falcons. Offensive guy, they're a defensive guy, now they're going to change. Yeah, Atlanta seems to make a lot of sense. I mean, you still have Matt Ryan, and you still have Julio Jones, they're bad, but you do have those two guys and if they're not going to move on from Dan Quinn, I mean, I they should. Uh, the, they they should. He's they got the job to. for life. I would say wild card here is Chicago. If they finish yeah. the season strong, I like then I bet Nagy keeps his job. If they do not, then probably the boot. 
Um, okay, so I, I want you guys to rack your brains here as I set this one up. Pat Shermer said because Daniel Jones got hurt that Eli Manning is going to start probably oh the rest of the season. Oh, God. Uh, I want you guys to give me the saddest, like, great or really good quarterback at the very end that you can ever remember. And you can't say Peyton Manning because he won a Super Bowl at the end. I don't care how bad <laughs> I wouldn't it was. Say, he won it the was Super Bowl. sad, but I wouldn't say okay. Peyton. Saddest superstar quarterback at the end because this version of Manning my God. I mean, no, if good. I'm him, the minute I get benched, I'm like, Cheetos, pizza. I'll give you a three. I'm just sitting around. I'll give you a three. Okay. Unitas as a charger. It was before I watched football, but the stories are pathetic. They're maze as a Met falling down in the World Series. Number two, Namath as a Ram. Ah, yuck. And the third one I covered, gentlemen, 2010, Brett Favre at the end. Didn't want to come back. Basically, he was forced by his buddies to come back, and everything went wrong, and the poor guy ended up nearly dead on TCF Bank Stadium's field. I love how you emphasize dead. Go ahead, Manny. <laughs> Who are you talking uh, about play the game? I will go with Dan Marino, 1999, with the Dolphins. His touchdown interception radio was a negative, I think. He, I think oh. he threw more picks than touchdowns that year. Daniel was and Yeah, there was rumors that when they weren't sure about Dante and... It wasn't Cunningham a rumor. Danny really pursued him heavily. Yeah. And uh, you remember, Dan, Dan Marino's last game in the NFL was a 62-7 to loss <laughs> no. in the playoffs to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, wow. That was I just Who's yours, Collar? Remember that. Who's your most pathetic Um, You know, Jim Kelly's last year was really a nightmare, but how he ended his career was the worst. He dragged them to the playoffs and then took a really bad hit, I believe, against oh, the Jaguars. Yeah. And he was... Out totally concussed, and they were he couldn't even walk off the field, so they had to cart him off the field, concussed, and that was the last time Bills fans ever saw him. Mm. That was really sad. And uh, I will also go Carolina Vinny Testaverde at age forty four. <laughs> Not that Vinny was ever truly great I like was some of these say. other guys. I know, but. 44. That was Jamie Moyer, man. he could man. not play anymore. That was Jamie all. Moyer. He's just coming in in relief trying to get out. Okay, fair enough. I just wanted to mention that he <laughs> played till 44 in the NFL as a starting quarterback. Uh, so that, that would be mine. Um, hot routes here. We're just kind of going rapid fire because Steve Palazzolo is coming up in nine minutes. Antoine Exum is back with the San Francisco 49ers. If you guys remember the most famous thing that Antoine Exum did as a Minnesota Viking was fight Laquan Treadwell in training camp and injure Laquan Treadwell. He then goes out to San Francisco and starts for them on a bad team. He is cut and becomes a rapper. Did you know this, Manny? I did he not became, know this. Yes. I remember so, the Treadwell thing. I don't remember him being yeah, a rapper. Though. I got emails last summer. You told me about him. That's from, the only reason I know. From Antoine Exum's people, because I guess he has people, <laughs> and they sent me and other media music videos, songs, and wanted us to, like, interview Antoine Exum about his new music career. The music was terrible, as of you course, might expect. He was trying expected. hard, but not good. Um, I just want to know what the funniest, weirdest, strangest, worst decision off the field endeavor, not criminal-related, Judd, so you can't pick OJ. So what's the... <laughs> Off the field. Well, him becoming thing. a broadcaster was also bad. Yeah, he wasn't. He was too, not a good broad. He was not that. a good broadcaster. But I, I want to know what the worst off the field decision is that you can think of for a football player, not criminal related. Well, I'll come. I'll give, give you one from last year, actually, because this move was awful. Oh, I know. Jason Witten. Yes. 
Okay, yes. dude, if you <laughs> thought you had anything left in that tank, and clearly you did because you came back and played yeah. in 2019, you were you were just sort of bad. You were as miscast, and because ESPN had looked at Romo and been like, oh, these Cowboys yeah. all must be analysts. They got Aikman and Romo. That was awful. I would say he was up against it with those other two after watching. Well, he didn't get night. help, but he was yeah. terrible. Uh, Manning? Kind of following in that same path, did you guys know that Brett Favre, after he retired, I think it was the first year after he retired, did, I think it might have been like one or two games, he did color really? commentary. I don't remember that for, at all. He did color College. commentary of Southern Miss football. It was yeah. like they were playing like really? a... Really? Yeah. I don't have there's, any there's recollection YouTube, of this. There's a YouTube clip of it, and I don't know if it's still up there or not, but you could just totally tell that Brett just kind of showed up and just like, yeah, I guess, I guess I'll guess i just do this. Like, there was no... The play-by-play man is like trying to get, get Brett to say something like, yeah, Southern Miss is going to play, you know, North Texas or whatever. Brett, what do you think about this game? Yeah, well, uh, the quarterback's pretty good, and uh, they're they're going to be ready to play. Like Brett was offering yeah, I, absolutely nothing. I can envision him yeah, doing that. And yeah. he, they do a radio show with him on XM that is uh, along those little, lines. A little rough, a little rough. Uh, I'm going to go with Jim Brown becoming an actor. Like, did Jim Brown have a good acting <laughs> career? Anybody? Or yeah, he walked was, away early. Yeah, he was only 30 yeah. years old, and then yeah. And uh, now someone like Chad Ochocinco did not leave early he was done when he quit but i believe he tried to play soccer uh tony (laughs) romo trying to be a golfer if he wasn't a great broadcast i'd be like "Eh, don't try to almost miss the bears vikings game because of that silly deal yeah that would have been the worst decision right there the worst decision would have been skipping a game for a golf i was bummed out about that he's got the money don't worry yeah exactly um okay Good little hot routes there. We've got Steve Palazzolo coming up, and we're going to continue the conversation about whether the Vikings should embrace the fact that their offense has a a chance to drive them in the playoffs and just how difficult it is if you don't get one of those first-round buys. Steve Palazzolo will tell us that when we return. You listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Score North download time. I'm Manny Hill. This download brought to you by the 3M Open, and much has been made about the Recent play of one Xavier Rhodes. He has been criticized across the board by just about everybody, and a lot of it has been deserved. But here's what his head coach, Mike Zimmer, had to say about number 29. What's important, Xavier's a good kid. You know, we've, we've, you know, we've always had our little uh, moments, I guess you call it. But at the end of the day, he knows I'm trying to do what's best for him, and he's always trying to do what's best for me. So, you know, I think... Uh, you know, I have a I have a ton of respect for him, uh, not just him, every player, and uh, you know, because he's done what we've asked him to. He tries to do it, and, and um, you know, so he's a good kid. He's got a smile on his face all the time. Comes out to practice and works hard. So, uh, yeah, I have a ton of respect for him. Question is, is Xavier Rhodes going to play sixty snaps on uh, Sunday like he did? on Monday night because that could smell for disaster for the Vikings. Get the golfer in your life tickets to the 2023 M Open and save money with the Frozen 4-Pack. Four weekend flex tickets with parking for just 150 bucks. Go to 3MOpen.com now and reserve your tickets today. The 3M Open Golf That Matters. That's your score of download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Manny. And now joining the show from Pro Football Focus, Steve Palazzolo. What's up, Steve? 
Hey, man, doing great here. How you doing? I'm doing very well. So you heard what Manny was talking about with Xavier Rhodes and the fact that they continue to run Xavier Rhodes out there, despite the fact that by the PFF metrics, he is one of the worst corners in the NFL. Not just mediocre, not just a slip, a fall off, one of the absolute worst. Now, how much, Steve, do we make of a small sample size, essentially, of a player not performing very well? Because I feel like from year to year, when I look at the PFF, FF grades, when I look at quarterback rating against things like that, I do see variations with a lot of corners. It's not that every corner uh, isn't consistent from year to year. So is there a chance that Xavier Rhodes has just been beaten so far but could get it together? Are you saying that he's due? Maybe he's due. (laughs) Maybe that's what I'm getting at. He's due. No, our, our friend Eric Eager, I know friend of the show here, you know, he, he has done a ton of great research using our data and, and saying, yes, okay, coverage is uh, one of the most difficult things to predict year in year when it comes to our numbers, particularly when it comes to, uh, you know, passer rating against. That is very much dependent on who you play and who the quarterback is and, of course, you know, how good the, the corner is. Um, right now, though, it's at a concerning level. Uh, for Xavier Rhodes, giving up 87% of passes to be completed his way, a passer rating of 132.6 into his coverage. Yes, he should improve upon that, but um, it, it's concerning, and, it, and it's happening in different ways, whether it's man coverage or coverage busts or, or whatever it might be. So I think that's the uh, concerning part with Xavier Rhodes, but I do think as a whole, um, coverage stuff uh, you know, can fluctuate a little bit. I mean, and we've been on here – uh, in years past saying, look, Xavier Rhodes' numbers were good a few years ago, but his grade wasn't as good because he was the beneficiary of maybe some inaccurate passes and uh, you know various things like that that, uh, that helped him out and, and aided him. So um, I, I do think at this point, though, it is a, a concerning level of play for the Vikings. How do you factor the penalties that he commits to? I know that that's one of the main reasons that his grades weren't as good as I think people expected when they looked at things like the quarterback rating against, or they would say, oh, Julio Jones only got three catches, but if you've got two pass interferences, that hurts, and he's number one in the league now tied um, with ten penalties total. And, and that, to me, takes it to even another level of being concerned. Yeah, it does. I mean, so we actually made the decision a couple of years ago when we present stats, we just want them to be uh, real NFL stats. So if there's a penalty, it doesn't go to those coverage stats, even though we, you know, could dictate that on our own technically. So a penalty almost always is a, is a free first down. It, it's a bad play. It's a, it's a negatively graded play. And if you have a 40 yard pass interference or whatever it might be, it's not going to show up um, in the official stats. So yeah, it, it, it's one of those reasons why I think the PFF grade itself is the best indicator of how well a guy's playing because uh, the stats can lie a little bit. If you get beat and there's an overthrow, we can still give you a negative grade. It shows up as an 0 for 1, or you pick up the penalty, you're going to get a negative grade, and it's not going to show up in the stats. So um, penalty is absolutely a huge factor, and this is the fourth season. He's had double-digit penalties, and he's got two others uh, with nine. So it, it's certainly been an issue for the majority of Rhodes' career. Talking with Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. So last night I was looking through some numbers just trying to figure out 
who usually makes the Super Bowl, which is kind of the most basic way to do it um, from a team level, and comparing that to what the Vikings have done so far this year, which I know is not perfect by any means, but just give me a snapshot. And what I found, Steve, I'm sure this won't shock you, is that usually offensive teams, even if they have mediocre or average defenses, if they're great, they're able to overcome that and make the Super Bowl. Sometimes that's because they have Tom Brady, but not always. I mean, it could be like Atlanta a couple of years ago, or Denver the year before Peyton Manning's head fell off his shoulders, right? So uh, where the Vikings offense is at right now, is it good enough to make up for the defense if it continues, if the defense continues to be average? Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, I think, you know, they've, they've shown that I think the, the run scheme has certainly um, given them a different way to win. You know, it, it, it's not uh, very PFF-y of me to talk about the run game first. <laughs> I know, I was but, taking it back a little there. No, I, I, I like I like balance. Balance on offense, I think, is, is being able to win um, no matter what the defense is throwing at you. And I don't think balance is run-pass splits. I think it's the ability to throw deep, throw short, throw intermediate, throw in the red zone, and then run the ball. You know, it's, it's throw the ball a million different ways and also be able to run. And I think the Vikings have answers, which is nice, especially if Dalvin Cook's healthy. You've, you've got answers. And you're, you know, he's, he's great with the ball in his hands. But, you know, they've gotten good play from Madison. And the offensive line, I think, has improved as the season's gone along. And then you've got Cousins, uh, who we always say is, you know, he's, he's volatile. He's got his issues. But um, on pace for the highest PFF grade of his career, and I think he's played the cleanest brand of football. And the other thing I look at with the Vikings scheme you know, they've done a really nice job in their screen game. You can just see it when you're watching yes. plays unfold. You're like, they're throwing a screen, and there's a ton of space. I mean, they're so good at setting that up. So they are picking up cheap yards, you know, to help Cousins. And then Cousins is making some nice throws, and he's playing well in the red zone in various uh, places where he wasn't great uh, previously. So I think they're more than capable offensively and well-balanced uh, to, to make – a playoff push. So I was mentioning earlier, Steve, that it's really obnoxious, but it almost has to be said with certain teams. But they didn't beat anyone, and when we're looking at Cousins, he's had decent performances in big games. He didn't play poorly against Seattle, but also didn't get the job done when he had a chance. In Green Bay, he did play poorly and lost them that game. Chicago, the same thing. Kansas City, it wasn't a great game. Those are against the better teams, um, and it was a Matt Moore Kansas City uh, even at that. How do we weigh destroying bad teams, like running bad teams out of the building, versus uh, you've had some troubles whenever it's been a good team that's come into play? I think normally you just kind of say, okay, you know, that happens. You know, it, it, it's good to, to beat the bad teams, you know, and to, to beat them handily. Yep. Um, I do think you, it shows something, right? It's because it adds to the, the entire sample size, though. And not to pick on Cousins, because you're right, I don't think he played uh, all that poorly against Seattle. But the other losses that you mentioned, yeah, I think Green Bay was a disaster. The Bears game was, was horrible. And the Chiefs game was kind of like right in the middle of his hot streak, and he was just missing throws that he wasn't missing previously. Yep. So it, it's more so the fact that like if like Tom Brady this year can't win in prime time either. You know, he's like uh, this year Kirk Cousins, and he just <laughs> added his stats in uh, uh, you know in garbage time the other night in, in Cousins style. But Brady has a track record of not being that guy, and I think with Cousins, the track record of kind of struggling in some big games, not just primetime Monday night football games, but in, you know, against better teams, he struggled and not always been the most aggressive uh, when a comeback is needed and all these different things. I think that's where it's more concerning is just the Kirk Cousins-led team 
can you can you trust him to make those comebacks? It's nice that he's flashed that ability, whether it was the Denver game a few weeks ago. I mean, he did the same thing in Washington. Had a couple games that made you say, okay, he's capable, mm-hmm. he can do it. You just want to see him do that a little bit more consistently. So that's what the only reason why it would be a little bit concerning with a, a Cousins-led team. It has been fascinating, Steve, to cover Kirk Cousins over the last two years because he puts up good numbers, he largely puts up good pro football-focused numbers, and you can dive deep and find some areas where last year he didn't have big-time throws. This year he probably has more of those. Um, but but you know, you're really starting to dig very deep into the minutiae to try and find reasons why it doesn't happen but it's strangely like an eye test thing, even for a lover of analytics and not necessarily a QB wins fan or anything like that. But when you see it and it's third down, fourth down, you're down by four, you've got two minutes left in the game, you're thinking, well, he's just got that look where this isn't going to happen. And since he's been with the Vikings, that's sort of been the story of him playing even good games like the other night. And everyone says, well, it wasn't his fault they lost. But... That might be on the gravestone of the Kirk Cousins era here in Minnesota. Is it wasn't his fault they lost? Yeah, it, it's it's really. I think you've described it well. It, it's really a tough spot to be because you know, again, at PFF, I'm supposed to be all about the numbers and the play by play. I do think through the years, you know, he only has one top ten finish as far as PFF grades go, and he has three top ten finishes as far as passer rating goes. So to me, that's always been um, a good way to kind of show the disconnect. Like he's not playing maybe as well as the stats show. He's getting either some luck or some playmaker help, or um, maybe he's protecting his stats a little bit when he needs to. But um, even as a lover of the numbers and you know a believer in the PFF system, I do think at a macro level there is something to uh, the guys that win in, in crunch time. And you know, as, a, as a Tom Brady apologist through the years too, you can almost create any situation. You know, when the Patriots give up a ton of points, they still win a ton of games. Brady's able to kind of adjust to the game flow. When they need a fourth quarter comeback, he does it at the highest percentage. When they are blowing teams out, he's the, you know he's kind of the best in every situation. Fourth quarter uh, doesn't matter what it is, you know what I mean. And and, and, and even from a record standpoint, so there's probably I, I think it's safe even from for numbers people to assume there's probably this small percentage that we can't completely quantify where the feelings kind of mean a little bit. And I think that's where we're leaning with the cousin thing. Until he proves it, until he does it, until you see him kind of overcome that perception, there's a chance that it's still there. And he's always going to be that, you know, one or two plays away from Mm -hmm. consistently being that comeback guy or that guy that you really are counting on in the fourth quarter. So part of the theory that I've put together on this, watching him play very, very closely a a bunch of games, is that if you're a statue quarterback, it's just hard to win in those situations because defenses know exactly what you're doing. You can't play action. Screen passes when you need 30 or 40 yards don't often get called in in those spots, though maybe the Vikings should consider it uh, the next time, just throwing a bunch of screens. But Jack Del Rio was on our station yesterday, and Mike Zimmer kind of alluded to it, too, that on fourth down, Kirk Cousins should have moved around a little and looked for a play down the field. And that's just not something that Kirk Cousins ever does. And it reminds me, Steve, a lot of someone like Drew Bledsoe, where he would put up great yeah. numbers and had a great arm and could throw any anything out there. But when it came down to crunch time, you couldn't expect him to like shred a tackle and, and extend a play and then find somebody. And I, I think that that's kind of required for those spots to win. And we see even Tom Brady can do that. Even Drew Brees can move himself and, and find a way to do that. 
Yeah, and, and using Brady as an example, too, in those situations where he needs to be more aggressive, he is. You know, mm-hmm. he does he prefer to throw you maybe the short and intermediate stuff? Yeah, but when he has to take a few chances, he will. So I think there's that component as well as knowing when to be aggressive. The other thing about Cousins, and our guy Sam Monson talks about this well, too, there are certain plays, there's, there's a history of boneheaded plays in Cousins' career. Oh, yes. We are just like, what are you doing? I mean, the spike when he meant the knee, uh, the kneel when he meant the spike mm-hmm. and the last year you know throwing the the swing pass backwards into the dirt for a fumble I mean there are certain things where it's like here's this pressure situation in the middle of the play where you just have to have some passing instincts and make a play and I think that's where you see Deshaun Watson do stuff of course Patrick Mahomes does you see and it's not just about mobility it's just this natural passing instinct I think that's the thing I think Cousins is better than, say, Andy Dalton or Sam Bradford, but I think that's the type of stuff that's held, held those guys back through the years because if you watch Andy Dalton or Sam Bradford throw the ball, they throw tight spirals, oh, yeah. they throw the ball accurately, they do a lot of good things, but the pocket presence isn't there, the natural playmaking isn't there. I think Cousins is a tick better than those guys, but there is some of that natural playmaking, and to your point, is it pocket movement, is it aggressiveness, just knowing and feeling where to go with the ball in crunch time when you need to. And, and I think that's one of the places where he is lacking. Well, I think you nailed it with uh, somebody like Sam Bradford. That's for sure. I mean, seven on seven in training camp. It's one of the greatest sports things I've ever seen. Sam Bradford operating that the throws were just outrageous. Like this is a number one overall pick. Bradford. He's <laughs> six foot four and strong and athletic and everything, but not athletic in the way that he was going to make plays outside of the structure. Um, just one more thing for you, Steve. We've kind of been kicking this around a little bit with Carolina firing Ron Rivera that Kevin Stefanski's name is going to come up for a bunch of different jobs. If you were Kevin Stefanski, I I know that on your podcast you openly campaigned to become a GM of a team, so that hasn't worked out yet for you. (laughs) Um, Maybe the Texans will decide to hire a GM, and and you'll get lucky there. But uh, if you were um, Kevin Stefanski and you're going to be the hot coordinator candidate, maybe he's even met Sean McVay, I'm not sure. Um, where, Where are you going for potential jobs? Would it be Carolina? Cleveland might fire Freddie Kitchens. Jacksonville might move on from Doug Marone. It seems like there's going to be some some decent jobs, even potentially Atlanta. Which one would be at the top of your list if you had your pick? So I, I already know from a bunch of coaches that you know, Atlanta is the one everybody's keeping an eye on, and it's for the obvious reason. They have an established quarterback there. I think a lot of people would love the Browns' opportunity if that does open up. It, it all starts with the quarterback, right? And I think the question in Carolina is, who's the quarterback. I don't think Kyle Allen has shown anything that you're saying, okay, I'm definitely going to build around him. Cam Newton has one left, one year left on his deal, and he's, he's banged up. So um, the intriguing thing I think about Carolina is could you flip a Cam Newton to a Chicago or a Jacksonville or whoever, a Tennessee, a Tampa Bay, these teams that are in the middle of trying to figure out their quarterback situation, flip Cam Newton and just kind of start from scratch. I think that would be intriguing, but there's always that question mark about quarterback. I would always keep my eye on Atlanta if that ends up happening with, with Dan Quinn. You've got Matt Ryan. You have playmakers. I think there's talent on defense. They just really grossly underachieved. I don't think they're far away from, from turning it back around and, and being a contender once again. Yeah, and if you think about when Matt Ryan was at his best, he's running the Kyle Shanahan offense, and here we yep. are in Minnesota seeing Kubiak and Stefanski run something very similar. So uh, awesome stuff. Steve, as always, I implore people to listen to your podcast, aside from when you are begging for a uh, general manager job. Um, and, and also the... Just throwing my name in the hat. Also, the very uncomfortable 
ad reads sometimes about certain <laughs> shaving products. It gets a little weird, but it's a it's a great uh, a great podcast with you and Sam Monson. So follow Steve at uh, PFF underscore Steve. Uh, thanks for your time, man. Great stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep, for sure. That's uh, Steve Palazzolo. And Judd, if you're you're still sitting in the room, can you just hit? The, you know, thank you. Hit the button. Um, so uh, yeah, again, follow him at uh, PFF underscore Steve, and do not forget. If you want to become an elite member of the analytics society with Pro Football Focus, go to pff.com and you can use the promo code radio. That's part of our deal with PFF. And you get 25% off your subscription today. I guess you could use that as a Christmas gift if you want to. So if you're a fantasy football person, a gambler, not that uh, I would uh, tell you to gamble on football, but if you so happen to do that. Um, if you're a pro football player, by the way, uh, I don't know if you saw this story, Manny, that if you're a pro football player, do not tell people you're a pro football player when you're going to gamble on football, like the guy for Arizona did, uh, Josh Shaw, I think his name was. Yeah. He told them that he was a pro football player. Did he like, think, like, because he was on IR that he was just, like, <laughs> eligible gamble? to be able to do that suddenly? <laughs> like, what the hell is he thinking? Like, uh, you know what, man, this is a smart man's game, and I just don't think you're going to hold up here. <laughs> I don't know what tipped me off to that. So he's suspended for the whole year because uh, he got caught gambling on football in Vegas. Not using like an app or something right. to do it overseas at bovada.gaz or something. It's like, nope, just going to Vegas and betting on just football. Show my face to everybody. And... Just a little parlay on a Sunday. <laughs> Great job, buddy. Uh, anyway, so that's uh, pff.com and use the promo code radio. Uh, Manny, maybe we could talk for a couple minutes here before the sure. end of the show just about the um, the playoff machine at ESPN. Mm-hmm. Speaking of things that are just awesome and fun to play around with, the playoff machine is great. I am having a really tough time figuring out any scenario using just reasonable, no upsets, but things just go how we expect them to go. Yeah, Way to get the Vikings anywhere but really where they are. Yeah. That, the sixth seed and going to Green Bay, it's a very, very tough situation to be in. And I was researching this last night and looking how tough it is. And I'm I'm just going to read you, since Baltimore as a four seed went to the Super Bowl, the seed of the teams that went to the Super Bowl, uh, one, 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 two, one, 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 and last year both two seeds. What was the, what was the other, what was the first two seed? Uh, the first two seed came in 2016. That was Atlanta. So between between 2012 and 2016, it was all one seed. And you know what? That Atlanta team, they were a two seed, but they hosted the NFC Championship game against the Packers. That's right. Yes, that's right. Because the Packers got, went into yep. Dallas and beat rookie rookie Dak and rookie Zeke. That's right. And they and yep, they got the home playoff game. So it's, you get home field advantage, man. That's... That's what it comes down to, right? Like, that's how you get to the Super Bowl. You have home field advantage. That's what the trend has been. But going to Lambeau, where you should have beat them before, and Green Bay has shown some significant weaknesses at times. I mean, Mm -hmm. they certainly didn't in the snow against the New York Giants. But Rodgers is washed. At times, Rodgers has been washity washed. (laughs) And uh, I I keep looking at this, and I keep going around with it, and I keep putting in different things. And aside from a complete Vikings meltdown where the Rams somehow end up in the playoffs and not them, in which we're talking about all-timer, like put it on the board uh, under (laughs) all-time meltdowns for Minnesota sports teams, if that's the way that it plays out, 
you'd prefer somehow to go to Dallas. I just have a tough time making that happen with the schedules of New Orleans, Seattle, and San Francisco. They're just better teams. They're two games up on the Vikings. Something crazy would have to happen there. I don't think it's that bad to be going to Green Bay, though. Like, if we're resetting our counter a little bit here or where our bar is Mm -hmm. for the expectations, Green Bay going there with the potential to beat them, I think that becomes a success for the season if you can do that and give yourself a shot. Yeah, and I don't think... I know it's 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 sort of easy to look at Lambeau as sort of the, the mystique of Lambeau, and it's cold, it's going to be January. But when you look at the Aaron Rodgers era of Packers football, they've been in the postseason at Lambeau. They're not unbeatable there. We saw Colin Kaepernick go in there and win. We saw the Cowboys go in there, if not for the Des Bryant should have been a catch, but wasn't a catch there. It was a catch. The Cowboys would have gone in there and won and gone mm-hmm. to the NFC Championship game. That place is, it's it's hard to play there. We see the, we saw the Giants go in there twice on two different, both their Super Bowl runs. They went in there and, and won in the playoffs there. Like, that's not a, it's not an insurmountable task to go into Lambeau Field in the postseason and win. And if you're the Vikings, Kirk Cousins is playing better now than what he was playing the first time you went there. Yes, by a lot. By far. Like, yep. it's not even close. I'd, I'd take my chances there. I would probably I'd probably still pick the Packers, but it's not like, I don't think it's impossible for them to go into Lambeau Field and win a playoff game. You know what I think the difference is between when that happened and this last week? I mean, one is Garrett Bradbury's gotten a lot better. Yep. And uh, Kirk Cousins talked about that today. And that was a huge issue in that game. And Bradbury was picked up and thrown back into Cousins. And even though Pat Elfline hasn't played well overall, it's not like he's been as bad as he was in that game. And Cousins started to get nervous and anxious. But I also think that Kevin Stefanski has kind of figured out which buttons he has to push with Cousins when he Mm -hmm. plays in a bigger game. And he couldn't get it done on fourth down the other night. But... He also didn't look supremely accurate or supremely comfortable, and yet they seem to find ways in the screen passes and short throws and things like that when he just doesn't seem to quite have it or it is a tough team or he is a little anxious. Mm -hmm. They did this in Kansas City in the second half, and I think it's kind of worked each time since they had such big problems at Green Bay and Chicago. That would give me a little more confidence. So I, I guess, Manny, I'm going back and forth between History tells us this is an impossible task almost. The last team to do it was 2010 Green Bay, and Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers is a lot different. Uh, At that time, he's playing the best football of his career. And that team was much better than their record showed because they had one of the best defenses in the league. They had injuries across the board. A lot of their losses were very close. That was a much better team than I think they were 10-6. and But they were... As far as talent is concerned, they were much more like a 12-4, and 13-3 type of team. And something I like for the Vikings and the way things are setting up is that San Francisco, if they're a five seed, I mean, they're going to have to go through kind of the same stuff. San Francisco is the team I would least want the Vikings to play. I know, cause, just because of, of that defensive front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think they, they would just blow up the Vikings' offensive line, and that would be very difficult to run, and it would kind of be over. Even Lamar Jackson and Baltimore struggled against them. Yep. Everybody else, though? I, I wouldn't entirely count out, so I guess we've got a long way to go before we exactly figure it, but I'm kind of starting to think about how the playoffs could play out in my mind. That's if they don't lose to Detroit. Uh, Terrence Newman is supposed to join us tomorrow. Alex nice. Boone will be on. Yeah, that'll be good. Uh, so we will talk then. Mackie and Judd with Rami is coming up next. You're listening to Score North.
Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.